After 17 seasons, is it any surprise that HGTV now features a thruple? It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Hey friends, this is Michael Brown. We won't be taking calls today, and if you're watching on YouTube or Facebook, you'll see that we are audio only, but we've got a lot of content to cover. We want to talk about the slippery slope in America. We want to talk about how people are often more ready to believe a lie rather than believe the truth. So sit back, take in today's broadcast. I believe you'll find it eye-opening and hopefully impacting for the glory of the Lord. Okay, so HGTV has a show, and you've got a married couple. They've got two kids, but now they've added in another gal. So it's mom, dad, and another one, and they are now a thruple. And People Magazine reported February 13th with 17 seasons under its belt, House Hunters has made HGTV history on Wednesday when it featured its first thruple. Three people in a polyamorous romantic relationship on one of its episodes. It was titled Three's Not a Crowd in Colorado Springs. And it featured one line in which one of the two women named Lori commented, this is a couple's kitchen, not a thruple's kitchen. Now, as I was typing out an article about this, every time I typed thruple, my spell checker highlighted it. In other words, underlined it in red to say there's no such word spelled like that. Give it a little time. Soon enough, thruple will be a fully accepted word across all of the spelling platforms. In other words, polyamory is now as American as apple pie. Now, now here's, here's the deal. This is what I want you to hear, friends. We, when I say we, I mean social conservatives, I mean Bible believers, I mean others who have this moral conscience. We've been saying this was coming for years. In fact, as I review things, to be honest, the only surprise is that it took this long. It took this long to be more normalized. It took this long to be more mainstreamed. Here you've got a couple with children. They meet this other gal. They, quote, fall in love with her in the bar. Now they add her into the equation. They have a commitment ceremony in the presence of the children. And now HGTV is just, hey, normalizing this. So I, I want to point something out. Let's go back to my 2011 book, A Queer Thing Happened to America. All right. And I have a a section, one of the chapters, queer semantics. I have a section from polygamy to polyamory to intergenerational intimacy. Now, I should point out that Utah, the state of Utah, is now talking about removing restrictions against polygamy. But, But why not? If marriage could be so radically redefined so that you take out the opposite sex. I mean, think of this, friends. It's like saying a duet could have one singer or three singers. Or twins could be one baby or three babies. You're you're fundamentally changing the meaning of the word, the concept. Marriage, without including a member of the opposite sex, has never been marriage. But now it's been so radically redefined. Well, why not just go a little further? Why not? I, I mean, if marriage is not the unique union of two people, one man and one woman, 
if it is not that unique union joining the two sexes together and as the norm with the biological possibility of reproduction to join a, join a child to a mother and a father, then why can't marriage be three people or six people or one person? And in all my interaction with LGBT activists and allies, with the, the debate I did with Professor Eric Small, with social media interaction, with other interaction, I've never yet had one person, an LGBT activist or ally, ever had one person ever tell me why. If marriage is not the union of one man and one woman, it must have two people. Why two? What's magic about the number two? So here's what I wrote in 2011. The word polygamy, filled with negative connotations in our culture, is now being replaced by polyamory, defined as, quote, the practice of having more than one loving relationship at the same time, with the full knowledge and consent of all partners involved. The relationships are long-term, intimate, and usually, but not necessarily, sexual. Persons who consider themselves emotionally suited to such relationships may define themselves as polyamorous, often abbreviated to poly. Then I wrote, until recently, polyamory had a different name, adultery, but not anymore. Just get all the parties involved to agree to the new relationships. Really, now that jealousy stuff is so outmoded. And be poly, which rhymes with jolly instead. Here's from my book, Queer Thing Happened to America, came out in 2011. Not surprisingly, polyamory groups sometimes march in gay pride events, part and parcel of the sexual liberation vanguard. In fact, in 2004, polyamory advocate Jasmine Walston stated, we're where the gay rights movement was 30 years ago. So she said this in 2004. She was wrong 20 years ago, 10 years ago. In, in, other, in other words, she... Well, 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 hang on. Now, let me analyze this. 2004, she said, we are where they were 30 years ago. Okay, we are where they were back, say, in 1974. That That's pretty accurate then. But the thing has intensified and sped up so much that it didn't take 30 years for them to catch up. I note this in A Queer Thing Happened to America. Five years later, in 2009, so we're talking about 11 years ago, friends, Newsweek featured an article by Jessica Bennett entitled Polyamory, the Next Sexual Revolution, with this bold, provocative beginning. Only you and you and you. Polyamory, relationships with multiple mutually consenting partners, has a coming out party. This is what the article said. Newsweek, 2009. It's enough to make any monogamous head spin, but the traditionalists had better get used to it. Researchers are just beginning to study the phenomenon, but the few who do estimate that openly polyamorous families in the United States number more than half a million with thriving contingents in nearly every major city. Then I wrote, so this is not group sex or adultery or even polygamy. It is polyamory. And Newsweek warns that traditionalists had better get used to it. There's even an argument now that polyamory should be classified as a sexual orientation for the purposes of protection against discrimination. Some polyamorous actually claim they were, quote, born that way. So uh, here, friends, uh, so I, I'm reading what I wrote years ago to say we, others, many have been saying this is coming for years. Professor Robert George tweeted this out, respected law professor and, and strong moral conservative. He said this. The normalization of polyamory, 
rolls down the track just as I and others predicted it would. It was, as I said, less a slippery slope than a simple unfolding of the logic of social liberalism. But of course, why not? Look, if marriage is not the unique union of one man and one woman, you know, just like you have plugs, you have the male and the female plug. The only reason you need those two aspects is because what they bring together in their uniqueness Otherwise, you could have 10,000 plugs, a million plugs, one plug. They don't have that function unless the two make a certain connection. I'm not just talking about sexual. I'm talking about everything that brings a man and a woman together in a unique union and makes them uniquely one, friends. So please hear me. If marriage does not have to include a member of the opposite sex, if you're going to so fundamentally redefine it, it's like 2 plus 2 equals 4 is not math, it's spelling. And and cat is spelled C-A-T is not spelling, but that's math. If you're going to so fundamentally redefine terms that marriage can mean anything. So sologamy, what's that? People who marry themselves. You can go to the the self-marriage ceremonies website, which states self-marriage is a profound rite of passage into wholeness, trust, self-responsibility, self-liberation, and love sourced from within. It is a ritual of transformation, of proclaiming what is true in your heart and being celebrated as you make it known that you are ready to live your full potential. It is the commitment to radically honor and express your gifts and the precious gift of your life. It is the freedom to live authentically in alignment with your deepest values. It is the dedication to love no matter what. So you marry yourself. When I did a search for this just before doing the broadcast, I I saw questions come up like this. What states allow self-marriage? What? What states allow self-marriage? This was the answer. Other states that allow some some form of self-uniting marriage are Wisconsin, Colorado, the District of Columbia, California, Maine, and Nevada as of July 31st, 2017. So why the surprise that there's a throuple on HGTV? Why the surprise that this is mainstream, that this is the norm, as I said, as American as apple pie? Now, here's what's inevitable. An avalanche goes downhill, not uphill. The slippery slope goes downward, not upward, barring a radical course correction, which will only come from revival in the church leading to awakening in the society. Barring that, the collapse continues. Barring that, the slope continues to go downward. The avalanche continues to go downward. Now, here's what's also inevitable. The pattern repeats itself. We warn, this is coming. This is next. We're going to have throuples and whatever other numbers you want. We're mocked. You're crazy. That will never happen. You're dreaming it up. You're a doomsday prediction. That's what we're going to hear day and night. You're crazy. And then it happens. And you know what we're told by the very same people who mocked us? You know what we're told? Just prudes. What's the big deal? Who cares? I gave a presentation at a university campus a few years ago, local university in Charlotte, North Carolina. And the goal was to encourage and strengthen Christians, but to reach out to nonbelievers. It was a secular university. So they asked me to do a talk on God and sex. And one of the points that I made was when you do things God's way, it brings life and wholeness. When you do things the way of the flesh in the world, it ends up bringing death and destruction. And I illustrated these things statistically. And as I was speaking, I was referencing the slippery slope 
And there were some of the students there, they didn't interrupt me. I, I commended them for it, but they were making all kinds of faces expressing their extreme disagreement. When it came time for Q&A, they wanted to argue strongly that there is no such thing as a slippery slope, that I was dreaming it up and making it up. I then asked them, well, should someone, let's say three people want to marry, should they have the right to? They thought about it. Well, yeah, they should. I said, well, what about like two brothers, 20 years old, adult brothers? Should they have the right to quote marry? Well, yeah, they should. Basically, they said the government should sanction every possible relationship, loving relationship, whatever, as long as it's consensual. So I said, so you just proved my point. You just accepted fully the slippery slope. First, you denied it existed, and now you sanction every aspect of it. Friends, don't be surprised this is happening, but pray all the more for awakening, for stirring, for transformation. It must begin with us, and it must begin today. Otherwise, who knows what's coming? God of light, hear our cry. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us, friends, on The Line of Fire. Michael Brown, delighted to be with you again. We're audio only, no phone calls today either. So enjoy the show. You just have to picture my smiling face. As we're talking about slippery slope, as we're talking about awakening, as we're talking about turning the tide, I want to present a couple things to you, and then we're going to shift gears and talk about some other important issues facing us today. But everything reproduces after its own kind. And, and when you go in a certain direction, it's going to confirm you going in that direction. You know, it's like an addiction or a wrong decision. You start on a certain path, and then you take steps along that path. And then it reinforces that path and it gets deeper and stronger and deeper and stronger and harder, harder than to get out, harder than to get yourself unentrenched. And it becomes very, very challenging in that regard. Uh, look, I'll give you a simple example. You eat certain foods. You become addicted to those foods. The foods are unhealthy. You get heavier eating those foods. As the years go by, your metabolism slows down. You get even heavier. You become more dependent on the foods. It becomes harder and harder because you're going in a certain direction. In the same way, when you're disciplined in a certain area, when you do the right thing, when you say no to sin, it makes it easier to say no to sin the next time. And the next time you get stronger and stronger. All right, so it's, it, there are spiritual rules. You reap what you sow. Uh, another, as I mentioned, everything reproduces after its own kind. So you have to ask yourself a question. Which direction is my life going? If I continue in this direction, which way will it end up? Now, here's what's really fascinating. God's ways reproduce in beautiful and glorious ways. If I say to you, take truth and multiply it. What do you get? More truth. Lots of truth. Abundant truth. That's all you get. Truth. Take real love. Multiply that. What do you get? More love. Beautiful love. Glorious love. Love, love, love. Let's take something negative. Let's take bitterness. Let's take greed. Let's take lust. You take any of these things, you multiply them. You multiply lust, and before long, 
you're doing things you never knew existed before or you're desiring things you never knew existed before. And it gets deeper and worse and uglier and uglier. You take greed. You take covetousness. And before you know it, your life is consumed with this and then you're doing the most extreme and crazy things to satisfy desires that never even existed in you. Same with bitterness. You start with bitterness and unforgiveness and then over time it leads to this incredible anger and then hatred. It could lead to violence. It could lead to murder. The negative things reproduce in a downward spiral. God's truths, God's principles reproduce in a life-giving, ever more beautiful and wonderful spiral of life. When I gave this talk at the university in Charlotte a few years ago that I just mentioned in the first segment on God and sex, again, I'm, I'm trying to speak to kids that don't know the Lord, that may not believe the Bible at all, that may not believe in the existence of God, and I presented principles to them just to get them thinking. For example, I, I asked them this, okay, why is it you have a, a couple and they keep themselves sexually pure before they're married, so they're not sleeping around, they don't have multiple sexual partners, right? They then get married and they have a wonderful relationship. They're married 50 years and through much of their marriage, they are sexually active and have a healthy sexual relationship within marriage. They'll never get a sexually transmitted disease doing that. They could be together hundreds of times, thousands of times, but within the confines of marriage, they'll never get a sexually transmitted disease. However, if they committed the exact same acts, if they had sexual intercourse with someone they weren't married to, so that the exact same act with someone they weren't married to, they might get a sexually transmitted disease. And I asked the students, where does that come from? Where does a sexually transmitted disease come from? It's an interesting question, isn't it? You know, one theory is that those who are promiscuous and sleeping with this person, this person, this person, this person, that there's more possibility of picking up diseases. There's more possibility of picking up other conditions that can then work on your immune system and weaken you and now make you more vulnerable to a sexually transmitted disease. That, that's, that's one theory I've heard. Another theory is a darker theory, which says this that human beings doing this in the confines of marriage, so one human to another human, it'll never happen. And one human to another human in normal circumstances, it'll never happen unless the disease has been introduced from somewhere on the outside. Because that's the question. Where did the disease come from? It's had to start somewhere. So there, there are some who believe that it, it started with, with bestiality. And that's and a disease, something was now imported into the human race through this sinful act, through breaking the, the bonds, the bounds, the, 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 the barriers of life that God has constructed to save us from death. So you go outside of those bounds, you, you cross that boundary, you now go into forbidden territory as a result, you, you, are, you now get something in your body that never should have been there. So now you're with someone else. Now it gets transmitted, 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 transmitted. However, however, think of this. If you are pure before marriage, you'll never touch that. If you're just with each other within marriage, you'll never touch it. So wherever the STDs came from, they're outside of the bounds of marriage. And then I ask the question, say with, with same-sex practice, why is it that say men being with men? Have, have that, that act 
has so many more STDs associated with it. I'm not hating on people and saying that. I'm just saying that God did not construct us for that. That's not the way that God made us, and therefore when we violate his guidelines, it's going to lead to problems. You say, well, why isn't it the same with women and women? It's not exactly the same. However, it has been demonstrated in many ways that that women who are just with women can actually contract certain diseases and conditions that will not be contracted or at the same level by women who are with men. It's for whatever reasons. I don't have have the time now to get into all the studies, nor am I a scientist or researcher to back up every claim. But it's, it's simply data that I've looked at and studied over years here. Or how about this? How about this? When I was writing Saving a Sick America, I referenced some older studies that indicated that when women were surveyed in a major women's magazine years ago, that to the shock of many of the readers and probably the people doing the polls, the women who said they were the most sexually satisfied were the women who were in a happy marriage. So they were married to the same person. They weren't committing adultery. They weren't sleeping around. And these women, so with the same man for years – They spoke of the highest level of sexual satisfaction, and the ones who had the lowest level were the ones who had the most partners. So this gal's going from here to here. Hey, she's living the sexual dream. She's picking this dream guy or that guy. She's having sex with no responsibility, done with him, go to somebody else, new excitement every week if you want it. They were the least satisfied. As I was writing that, a colleague of mine was reviewing the book to give an endorsement and said, oh, these stats have been verified again in recent studies and sent me a bunch of major studies that had been done, not just a survey from a women's magazine, but researchers, scientific researchers, and the conclusions were the same. Now, it's not to say that every married couple is happy sexually and everyone sleeping around is just miserable, but it is to say that one thing brings lasting satisfaction and another doesn't. I I remember being in the world and friends of mine in the early days of of, of having certain experiences as growing up as teens and and, and they they couldn't wait for this or that and they did certain things and they were dissatisfied. And then when they were they got saved and they got married, they said, boy, it's completely different. One thing is with love and with a lasting commitment, and it satisfies in a certain way. And the other thing, as stimulating as it may have been, as, as exciting to the flesh as certain things may have been, they ultimately left you dry. They ultimately left you dissatisfied. They ultimately left you feeling that something was lacking the bond of love and the sacredness of sex was missing. There are pleasures in sin for a season. If sin didn't feel good, people wouldn't do it. I was talking to a a doctor the other day, and then he was saying, look, you've got man's food and you've got God's food. And God's food, you know, the natural foods, he said, those are meant to make you healthy. Man's food is meant to taste good. And and he was explaining how you take all the healthy things out of man's food, then you add the preservatives in, you add this and that and this to sweeten it, this to add this and that, and this to to make it more addictive. So it tastes good, but it's destructive to your body in the long term. And the other tastes good, but maybe not as good, doesn't have all the sugars, all the salts, all the other additives, all the things that we get used to. may not have those, but long term, long term, it brings beautiful lasting health. Hey, I am an eyewitness to that myself. 
So I want to encourage your friends, stay with what's right. Stay with God's ways. Maybe you're a young person in college and you're following the Lord, but all your friends are sleeping around. You're not, and you're getting drunk and high, and you're thinking, man, what am I missing out on? Some temporary pleasure, but lasting disappointment. Some temporary pleasure, but lasting destruction. Some temporary pleasure, but lasting dissatisfaction, and maybe more. There are a whole bunch of young people today who have lasting sexual diseases that they've been infected with that will be with them for years. Honor the Lord and do things God's way, and you will have lasting peace, lasting joy, lasting satisfaction, and God will be honored and you'll be blessed. Guarantee with sin. Go the way of sin. In the end, you have nothing but regret. You go God's way. In the end, you have nothing but joy Thank you, thank you for We'll be right back. Thanks so much for joining us on the Line of Fire today. Michael Brown, not taking your calls. And if you're watching on YouTube, Facebook, we are audio only. Welcome, welcome to the broadcast. The first half of the show, I talked about the slippery slope, talked about the thruple now on HGTV and how there's no surprise with where society has gone. We've been talking about it, many of us warning about it for years. And then when we get to each new level of descent of moral uh, degrading on the slippery slope the people that mocked us when we warned about it when we get there they say well it's the big deal who cares that's part of going down the slippery slope you you lose your own conscience but i want to shift gears now it's a related point but i want to shift gears and i want to talk about the importance of standing for the truth standing up for truth refusing to compromise speaking the truth in love now now look We will get discouraged along the way. If we're human beings, it's going to happen. We're going to get discouraged along the way because as we go, a lot of people are going to choose to believe a lie rather than the truth. Jesus himself said that narrow is the way that leads to life, that the the way is is straight, that the gate is narrow, and, and that few find it, but many go on the road to destruction. And can I be totally candid with you? I mean, what else am I ever going to be with you but, but totally candid? I, I am very, very rarely discouraged. I am very, very rarely disheartened. Unless God is doing something deep in my life and, and just getting me to a deeper place of prayer and dependence, or unless it's just a very, very unique season in my life, I mean the rarest of the rare I I almost never go through an extended time of feeling disheartened or discouraged. I do have times, as I said, as as God's drawing me into deeper prayer where I feel like nothing is happening and we're not touching any lives and and we're having no impact for the kingdom. And it it just drives me to deeper prayer that God brings us into a deeper level. And And there are times of purification and purging where in the midst of that you see your inefficiency, you see your weakness. But overall, in the Lord, 
I'm confident that, that his word triumphs. I'm confident that he finishes what he starts. I'm confident that I'm in his will doing what he called me to do. And therefore, the more resistance, the more opposition, the more attack we get, the better I feel, the more encouraged I feel. But I'm a, I'm a human being like everybody else. And sometimes it, it's just so grieving to see people, but God's people, believers, repeating lies and repeating nonsense. And, and here, I'll, I'll give you an example. We've put out factual videos about the, the Noahide laws and why Christians do not need to be afraid that in the coming years, Jews are going to dominate the world with the Noahide laws and you will soon be beheaded for worshiping Jesus by a Jewish-controlled world, okay? I've, I've said, forget about that. It, it, is, it is ridiculous, it's wrong, it's false. I've had some friendly dialogues with some of the folks who, who teach these things and believe these things. We've had very civil, friendly dialogues and discussed these things, and they've given their reasons. I understand where they're coming from. But all the more do I say what I'm saying, that, that this hysteria about, oh, no, it's coming. Look out. We're going to be beheaded because of the Noahide laws. I said, just forget about it, friends. Don't even think twice about it. Well, can I tell you something? I'm fairly sure. I haven't, I haven't checked in the last few weeks, maybe in the last few months. But when I did last check, the videos putting forth the warnings about the Noahide laws, the videos telling Christians that the Noahide laws, the so-called seven laws of Noah, which is taught, which are taught by rabbinic tradition, that, that these will be accepted worldwide as a result of which Christians will be beheaded because they will not be considered strict monotheists. The videos putting that theory out the videos saying that's the case and that's going to happen, I think they are viewed far more than my videos refuting. Now, now look, please understand something. It's not a popularity contest. This is a matter of who has more views or whose books sell more or who's more popular on TV or who has more retweets or who has more followers. Okay, It's not a popularity contest. If, if my job is to, is to speak to 10 people and only two of them will hear the message, then I want to be obedient and speak to 10 for the sake of those two and to make the other eight accountable, all right? But on a human level, it's discouraging, not, not because my efforts are failing, but because people are believing untruths. People are believing in some cases lies. And now, oh, Brown, you're just denying it. The flood of people – here, when I expose – some of the extreme misstatements that are made about Jewish people or things like that. When I just say, hey, look, I don't believe in the Talmud. I don't submit to rabbinic authority. I'm not a Talmudic Jew in any way, shape, size, or form. Talmudic Jews look at me as an apostate and an enemy. But for your information, the Talmud does not sanction pedophilia. I'll have people bombarding our YouTube page saying, you're not, you're not Christian. You're not saved. You don't believe in Jesus. You're a Jew worshiper. You're a secret Talmudic Jew. You think, Wow. And these are people who claim to be followers of Jesus. Here, I, I was with my good friend Eitan Barr, Israeli brother, younger Israeli brother, and, and he and a team there have put together the videos that have gone around the world, viewed tens and tens of millions of times, the one for Israel testimonies, Jewish salvation testimonies, Muslim salvation testimonies, teaching videos and things like that. 
I mean, on average, for the population of Israel, every Israeli has viewed a video three times. Obviously, it's not every Israeli has viewed them, but there, you know, Eitan's known on the streets. He gets harassed by the counter missionaries and things like that. The videos have been tremendously, powerfully, wonderfully used. And we were talking about things that the the myths and things that people believe. So he, we were together ministering in California over the weekend. And he reposted the testimony that I did for One for Israel a few years ago. So Aton and a colleague were there uh, recording. He said, All right, just share your whole story, kind of beginning to end. I did that. And then, then we went back and he said, okay, we're just, it's great. We're going to take excerpts of that and put it together and make it one. He said, but I need you. I need a big smile. I need you to look perplexed. I need you to look like you're playing drums, you know, because I was talking about these different things in my testimony. And then he puts it together. This is great editing. I mean, wonderful gift. Tremendous. So he posts it on, a, on his One for Israel Facebook page, and he says to me here, here are the comments you love to read, meaning that I often get encouraged by the attacks and the lies because it reminds me I'm doing the right thing. And, and here it is. Oh, you got Brown. He's with NAR. I'm now unsubscribing from your Facebook page. And then someone else says, what is NAR? Oh, it's all these megachurches who are working with the Pope. I'm thinking, what? where are they getting this stuff from? If you say to me, Mike, do you believe that there are apostles and prophets today, that this is something that's normative in the New Testament? We're not talking about the 12 apostles or a prophet with the authority of Jeremiah, but apostolic prophetic people today? Yeah, I believe that for many decades based on the testimony of Scripture. I believe they've been here through church history, but not always functioning under those names. Do you believe that you – know, you can go through the list and say, I believe this, I believe this. Are you part of NAR? No. What is NAR? The moment, ah, see, there's the proof. You're lying. You're obfuscating. You're doing it again. We have more proof. And the critics have put this thing together. It's, yeah, I'm reading some of the attacks. Yeah, Brown is dominionist. Like, I'm not dominionist. I've never been dominionist. I reject dominionist theology. Or he's dominionist. Or he believes in this. That's like, I'm on record for saying the opposite. Yeah, he backs Todd Bentley. It's like, oh, gosh, what? It's a little discouraging sometimes to see God's people believing such lies. If you want to know, do I believe certain things? Yes. Is there something that Peter Wagner dubbed New Apostolic Reformation and had people that were part of it? Yes. Was I part of it? No. Can critics, do critics have the right to put together all these different groups? Word of faith here, dominionist here, restorationist here, this fivefold ministry here, this group there, Jewish ministry, put them all together and, and, and now put it into this large conspiratorial thing? No, I'm going to expose that as a, ah, here you are covering up again. That, I'm just being totally candid with you, friends, that can be a little disheartening because I'm committed to speaking the truth. I'm committed to exposing error. You know what it reminds me of? Years back when I was at NYU, so I'm in grad school, I'm getting my master's, then my PhD in Near Eastern languages and literature. So this is my field. And I'm studying with some of the top scholars in the world in ancient Semitic languages, things like that. And I'm in a third-year Arabic class. And I'm in a class where we're reading ancient Babylonian texts. And I'm, I'm, on the, I'm on the train. I lived in Long Island. I'm on the train going into New York City, all right? And, I, and I've, got, I've got a fairly long train ride. And in my briefcase, I have Arabic texts. I have Babylonian texts that I'm studying and reviewing before class, okay? And these guys get on the train from the Ansar Allah Mosque. They were a cult. I don't know if they're still around. They were a cult that, that brought in Islam, 
and brought in the teachings of their particular uh, leader, their enlightened leader. I think they may use the Bible a little bit. They, they dressed and kind of looked like an Islamic outfit coupled with military outfit. And they were all black and Hispanic, and they taught the white man was the manifestation of Satan and so on. Well, they got on this one particular uh, subway stop, which was right on the edge of, of Queens, right next to Long Island. And then it was a long ride. It was the Mott Avenue stop, and it was a long ride before you could get off. So you get on there, and it's a good 20 minutes or more before you get off, and then the subway stops are more frequent. And I we begin talking. There weren't a lot of people on the train. I begin to challenge them, and they begin to talk about how Arabic was the first language, back and forth, and they're going on and on. I'm thinking, I got the goods right here. I mean, I, I know the stuff. It's my field. And there are a bunch of young guys standing around listening. Now, it so happened they were African-American, okay? But I was impressed because even though these guys taught the white man as the manifestation of Satan, and, and both of these men were African-American, I was impressed that when I would give an argument and rebut these guys, that it seemed that these young men, they caught it. They were laughing. They were smiling. They were kind of yesing each other and all of that. And I thought, okay, they're getting it at least. I'm giving facts. This is not theory. This is not – we're not talking about ideas and philosophies. We're talking about facts, just like math. I mean proven, known facts, linguistic facts, historical facts. And I'm, I'm rebutting their stuff left and right, kind of demolishing their position. And then the, the stop comes, they get off, and to my shock, the young guys applauded them. In other words, they were cheering them, not me. And I thought, isn't that wild? In this case, it was just a matter of skin color. It could have been the reverse. It could have been some white supremacists. And, and, and it could have been the, the black guy had all the right arguments, but the ones that favored the white supremacists, the white guys, they just believed him. I thought, wow, that can be a little discouraging. You put out the truth, you speak the truth, and more people believe a lie than the truth. The good news is, though, God's truth will always triumph. God's truth will always come out on top. God's truth will always win in the end. Second Corinthians 13, 8 says, we can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. All right, I'm going to encourage you when we come back. Give us strength to always do what's right. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome back to the Line of Fire. Michael Brown, so glad we can spend this time together. I want to read some scripture to you in a moment, but I'll tell you something that happened to me first. And I want to encourage you. I want to be, again, just totally candid with you. I had I had uh, was sent a link by some friends, and it was pointing to a video attacking some recent position I took. And again, that's, that's pretty much every day of my life. Have you seen this video? Have you seen this website? Have you seen this article? And 99.9% of them I, I don't watch, I don't listen to. One reason is I don't have time. I mean, I'm sent a lot of stuff. And another is why should I watch someone mocking me, misrepresenting me, speaking falsehood or, or whatever? Constructive criticism, yeah, send it my way. I'll drink it in, live live by it, love it, receive it. Thank you for it. I get it from my wife, Nancy, just about every day of my life. Great, bring it on. Thank you. But, but. The stuff that's just the mockers, the critics, that you know, from all the different sides. I'll look at it. I may note the headline. My team may pull out a, a quote from me or say, hey, you should watch this one-minute segment here. Fine. But I, I happened to notice this one, and I thought, isn't that a shame? 
someone speaking falsehood is getting a lot of attention. And then I glanced out in the comments section and the comments were so outlandish, so off base, so untrue that I, for that moment, for that moment, I just felt a little disheartened. Okay. And, and I, I tweeted this out as someone devoted to speaking truth and confronting error. It's sometimes disheartening to see how easily people, even Christians will believe and even spread a lie. Then I remember that truth always triumphs in the end. The light will ultimately expose the darkness. As I was writing out that tweet, I saw on my phone, I got a text. The text was from a pastor. I want maybe hear from him once or twice in a year, one of the most respected pastors in America. And he wrote to me and he said, hey, I just watched your video on hypercritics. Well done. And I thought, isn't that interesting? As, I, as I'm talking about people believing lies, believe, believing misinformation, believing twisted things, believing distorted things, and, and sometimes believing a hypercritic misrepresenting the facts or presenting them in a misleading way or, 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 or just putting forth blatant untruths, how sometimes that will draw more attention than when you speak the truth in love. I thought, how interesting that he sent that. So I sent to him when I was just tweeting out those very thoughts, and he tweeted me back 1 Corinthians 15.58. And in 1 Corinthians 15.58, Paul writes this. And I'm going to read it in a few different translations. New King James, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Uh, the ESV, NASB, virtually exactly the same. NIV, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. N-I-N-E-T. So then, dear brothers and sisters, be firm. Do not be moved. Always be outstanding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. TLV. Therefore, my dearly beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And here's what's interesting. Different translations, the first half of the verse, they put slightly differently. But the end, one after another, says, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Uh, I'm looking at NRSV, same ending. CSB, same ending. NJB slightly differently, being sure that in the Lord none of your labor is wasted. And then NLT, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. It is not in vain. And then this pastor also thanked me for the clarity of my article about why we don't need an openly homosexual president and how it will contribute to the further degrading of our culture. And that article has gone viral on site after site after site. And I said, look, I'm going to say what the political leaders won't say, can't say. And, and one leader after another has commented and said, hey, thank you for saying this. We, we need this to be said. So listen, friends, regardless of how you feel, regardless of whether you're in the midst of an up or a down emotionally, regardless of whether you're seeing good fruit or not, maybe you're going through a little bit of an emotional funk. Pastor, maybe I'm speaking to you directly and, and you've been preaching clearly and pouring your heart out for months and people are still just not getting it. 
and and it seems you know you finish your marriage series and you and your wife have have been an exemplary couple to the church and an open vulnerable couple and you've held, and, and you speak the truth and you're a great example and and and, and you've you've done, brought in the best teaching you can and now you just get three couples the same week telling you they're getting divorces you're thinking oh gosh what what are we doing or you pour into a certain mission and you, you invest funds and you invest energy and you invest effort. And after years, it seems there is no fruit or, or, or you, you, you in a major way confront a cult to expose it in your community and the cult keeps growing. It's, it's very easy to think, what, what are we doing? What, what's the purpose of it? How, friend, your labor in the Lord is never in vain. Truth will always triumph in the end. You can do nothing against the truth, but only for it. As I quoted earlier, 2 Corinthians 13.8, when I would sign a book that I wrote years ago confronting critics of, of revival, when I'd sign the book, I'd often put in two verses, 2 Corinthians 13.8 and Proverbs 21.30, there's no wisdom or counsel or plan against the Lord. Long-term when you do what's right, you'll be blessed. First half of the show, I talked about the slippery slope, the moral downslide. I talked about how God's ways lead to life, but the ways of the flesh in the world lead to death and destruction. Now I want to say that speaking the truth and living by the truth will ultimately bring blessing. And look, it could be that this cult is, is the growing fad for now. It could be this cult is here until Jesus returns. This false religion here until Jesus returns. I mean, let's say you are a scholar of Islam and you know that so much of what Muslims believe about Muhammad, the Quran history is, is a myth. And, and yet it's growing and it's got well over a billion and a half adherents. And that can be frustrating. But friends, that's the world we live in. That's the world we live in. There's going to be error. There are going to be people who turn away from the truth. There are going to be people who harden their hearts. Paul, Paul dealt with it. You know, in 2 Timothy 4, it says, nobody stood with me. Everybody in the province of Asia forsook me. This is Paul, okay? And, and look, when Jesus died on the cross, when he died, it, it's all over. You got this crucified Jewish carpenter. This He's going to lead a world-changing movement. He's the Messiah. It's over. Then he resurrects. And, and look. Even though the gospel has been spreading and growing for centuries, for so much of church history, the gospel has, has often been in the tiny minority, true believers. And there are whole nations today that have 1% or less of the population that are believers, even though this is the gospel itself, and it's growing like nothing else on the planet or around the world. True conversions in Africa, true conversions in China, true conversions in India, true conversions in Latin America. The gospel growing in leaps and bounds around the world in amazing ways. And still people mock. And still atheism triumphs in the thoughts of some. And still our universities go the, the, the way of moral relativism and, and even moral madness. It can be discouraging. But hey, that is going to happen in this world. It's going to happen. But what you're planting is going to bring a good harvest. Long term, what you're planting is going to bring a good harvest. And ultimately, I want to encourage you, friends, pour into those who have open hearts and minds and be encouraged by the good results you get. Don't be discouraged by the bad, the negative. Yeah, let it burden you. Pray for those people. Walk in love towards them. But don't be discouraged by the fact that lies are often believed far more than truth because truth is going to triumph in the end. Hey, listen. 
over this weekend, I was sharing, as I spoke at a conference in San Marcos, California, I was sharing our vision to get 3,000 people, 3,000 new people supporting us with $1 a day a month. It's really not that much to think of. You know, 3,000 people doing it. Their ministries have hundreds of thousands of supporters. It's, it's not hard to think of us getting 3,000 new supporters helping us with a dollar a day per month. It's not a lot you can do with a dollar a day, but we can for the transforming of many lives to help get the truth out even more over radio and over internet all around America and around the world, to help produce more cutting-edge, life-changing videos, to help increase our Jewish outreach, especially in the land of Israel. All right. And for everyone that helps us as a monthly supporter, as a torchbearer with a dollar or more per month, we send you a beautiful Tree of Life Bible as a thank you gift just to say, hey, this, remember this every day as you're reading it. We want to thank you. Stand with you. Every month you get a new audio message. Every month you get free access to online classes. You get a 15% discount in the online bookstore. You have access to content that others don't have access to. Online, on demand, special content we produce. In addition to that, if you come with us to Israel, you get a 10% discount, which works out to more than your dollar a day. It goes right back in your pocket. At the end of one of the sessions, a young man came up to me and said, hey, I, I want to join your support team. I want to give a dollar a day. I said, how old are you? He said, 18. And I thought, you know, God's going to bless you for that. I didn't think to myself, how can you take this from an 18-year-old? I thought, this young man is making a quality choice, is storing up treasure in heaven, and will be blessed here. God will more than repay him in this world with his smile in so many different ways as he honors the Lord. I want to ask you to join us. Friends, the times are urgent. We need to amplify this message. Let me be your voice. Let me tackle the controversies and do the difficult things and do the hard work and the research and speak the truth in love. You help us with prayer and a dollar a day a month. Would you join us right now? Go to askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org. Click on Donate and then Monthly Support. Askdrbrown.org, Donate, Monthly Support. Together, friends, we're making a difference. Truth will triumph.